Good morning, church family. Uh, a number of years ago, after Aunt Amy and I had started having babies, or she had started having babies, I was, I was there, uh, but we, we entered this new phase of life. Um, and it was, it was the phase of life where uh, we, we had been, you know, a married couple doing ministry and doing all these other things. We were super busy. And then all of a sudden, we entered a phase of life where I would get home from work or from grad school, and I would come home, and we would just have dinner together. It was amazing. Have dinner together, just us and the babies. Um, and we're there. Um, and, and, and I remember one particular day uh, that I got home from work. It was early. The kids were napping. Uh, I think it was a summer day. And, and and there, sitting on, on the bar top uh, in the kitchen, was this lovely plate of Rice Krispie treats. And it just looked beautiful. It was presented well. It was lovely. Um, and I thought, man, what just happened? What, some miracle just occurred. This is wonderful. And so Amy walks in. She sees me kind of staring at the plate. Um, and, and she goes, you want one? It's like, of course. Uh, they're, they're, they're fresh. They're warm. You can, you can have one. So I take one and I immediately uh, begin to enjoy my rice crispy treats. And after just a minute of, or minute, seconds of chewing, um, I immediately remark, these are a little different. <laughs> uh, there's, something, there's something going on. And, and at which moment Amy just busts out laughing. Uh, you see, what I didn't know was that as Amy prepared these treats, uh, she of course went to spray the pan with the nonstick spray and realized, oh, I don't have the regular spray. All I have is this olive oil uh, nonstick spray. And so that'll work, right? That'll do the trick. And at that moment, she created a snack uh, that no one had thought to create before. Sugary, marshmallowy, olive oil infused Rice Krispie treats. <laughs> I'm sure that's a delicacy somewhere. Um, not at my house. Uh, but uh, the treats uh, looked the part. They presented themselves as something sweet and inviting, but they lacked integrity. <laughs> and when the taste test came, their true identity was exposed. And, and Jesus has been exposing the Pharisees. He has been showing their true identity. They looked good. Uh, they were great performers. They looked all holy on the outside, uh, but rotten at the core. And this week he gives this condition a name. He calls it hypocrisy. But now he, he isn't just speaking to the Pharisees as we look in today's passage. He's, he's turning now to his followers, warning them, calling us to examine our hearts. And so as we look at Jesus' teaching today, I want us to see three realities of hypocrisy. Number one, the warning of hypocrisy. Number two, the lure of hypocrisy. And then lastly, the escape from hypocrisy. Now let's go once more to the Lord in prayer. I wanna invite you just right now, right where you are, to, to ask the Lord, give me ears to hear. Help me to hear what I need to hear from your word. Go ask, ask him that now. And would you pray for me that I would speak only the words that he would have me speak, that we would hear only from him and not my wisdom, but from his word.
Lord, would you help us today? Help us that we would hear what it is that we need to hear. Would you work by your spirit where our hearts are, are distracted and conflicted and divided? And Lord, would you bring us uh, directly to the truth of your word? Would you, would you do your work with your word to expose and divide and change and, and, and rebuke and correct, encourage? God, would you do all those things that only you can do? We pray that in Christ's name. Amen. Well, as begin as we begin, let's let's set the scene uh, right here at the beginning of chapter twelve and verse one. We read, "Meanwhile, a crowd of many thousands came together, so that they were trampling on one another." So this this isn't the ragtag bunch on the hillside anymore. Many thousands trampling each other. This, if you're claustrophobic, this is not where you want to be. Uh, the Irenic hillside sermonettes, that part of the ministry is dwindling and, and, and something heavy's happening. Uh, he, he's just gone hard after the Pharisees. Uh, and, and in fact, you can't really say he fought them because they, they were just taking punches. There wasn't a lot of fighting back. And yet, yet why, so what's, why is the crowd growing? Are these angry folks wanting to defend the Pharisees? More Pharisees, or maybe. Um, are these people who hate the Pharisees? They're there to watch Jesus keep roasting them. Probably. Um, it, it's, it's easy, I think we'll see here, it's easy to draw a crowd when everyone is angry about someone else. I think we see this in political rallies, right? It's, it's easy when everyone's mad at somebody else. But Jesus' ministry with the disciples is never that ministry. It's never, woe to all them. They've got problems, but you guys, you're good people. That's not his ministry, is it? No, with the crowds crushing in and with with the harsh words for the Pharisees, he's now turning to his disciples, not to rile them up against the Pharisees, but to warn them about themselves. Which leads to number one, the the warning of hypocrisy. The second half of verse one, he says, he he began to say to his disciples first, be on your guard against the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. So it's, it's a baking illustration. Uh, a small amount of leaven or yeast would, would slowly alter a whole batch of dough. Uh, you can't just stick it over in a little corner of the dough. No, the, the leaven is insidious. It works its way through the dough and slowly transforms the whole thing. And as a fan of bread myself, that's usually a good thing. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm on board. But the leaven of the Pharisees, this is not something that results in a warm loaf of ciabatta. Right? This is... This is insidious. It's, it's hypocrisy. That's the leaven of the Pharisees. And you can't just dabble in hypocrisy, he's saying. It, it is also insidious. It is deadly. It works its way through you. But also like leaven, uh, hypocrisy is impossible to see at first. It, the bread looks the same, with or without it. Hypocrisy presents itself well, but like rising bread, you'll see the truth soon enough. It can't stay hidden uh, for long. And I I think innately, we know what hypocrisy is, but I think it's still important to define it. Uh, Hypocrisy is a presentation that doesn't match the substance. The inside doesn't match the outside. A hypocrite is divided, like two people. Uh, This is the opposite of what we would call integrity. Integrity is, is, someone with integrity is a whole person. Uh, integrity comes from the same Latin word where we get the word integer, like a whole number. 
but someone with integrity is, is one whole person. And when you see that person in public, what you see there is the same thing that is in private. And in this instance, Jesus is saying that the Pharisees, they, they, they don't have that. They lack integrity because the Pharisees, see, they, they don't have godliness and they don't have holiness. And yet those are the very things that they're presenting themselves to have. They're, they're not whole. There's a division in them. They're like two different people. And we see a similar interaction in Matthew 15 where Jesus quotes Isaiah 29 as he accuses the Pharisees. These are the words uh, from Isaiah 29 that he's referring to. Uh, he says, uh, these people, they draw near with their mouth and honor me with their lips while their hearts are far from me. And their fear of me is a commandment taught by men. Quite literally, what Jesus is saying about these people is that they, they, look, uh, they look like those people who would draw near to God and worship. They look the same. But they're only doing it with their mouths. They're only doing it with what you can see. They, they may pray the best prayers. But if you look at their hearts, if you even look at their actions, you begin to see a different story. In fact, their fear, which is, which is a word that Jesus is using here, it's, it's a word that describes reverence or worship. Uh, their, their fear or worship of God has been boiled down to a rule or a command of men. So he's painting a picture like this. So imagine if, if you and I re responded to real fears that we have, uh, like a rule, like a command. So, I mean, some of you, I would imagine, are afraid of snakes. I'm not a snake person, don't like them. If I see them, sorry, they're gonna die. Um, I, I know there's good ones, I'm sorry. Sometimes if somebody's around that can tell me it's a good one, then maybe, uh, maybe I'll scoop it up somehow. But generally speaking, if there's nobody there to tell me, it's gone. Um, but imagine, you're one of those people that's fearful of snakes and a snake slithers into your row this morning, down by your feet. How would you respond? Ah, I am so afraid. It is a snake. Would that be how you would respond? Because that's the rule. That's what you're supposed to say when there's a snake. So you would follow the rules of responding. This is how Jesus was saying that the Pharisees uh, were fearing God. It was like a command, like a rule. Oh Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Have mercy on us, oh God. Of course, they were more convincing than that. They were better actors than that. But the principle is the same. Right words, but no heart. This is why when we confess sin we, I, I, and, and, we, and we sing songs about God, we, we encourage one another a lot. Lord, we believe, but help our unbelief. Revive our hearts. We, we don't want our worship, our gatherings, our prayers. We don't want all that to be rote, to be routine, or to be dishonest. So, so where our hearts feel heavy, when we feel far from the Lord, instead of saying, you know what, I'll just fake it. No, our prayer is, Lord, change me. Spirit, revive me. Bring, bring a fresh reality of who Jesus is into my heart, into my view. He goes on in verse two. There's nothing covered that won't be uncovered. Nothing hidden that won't be made known. Therefore, whatever you have said in the dark will be heard in the light and what you have whispered in an ear in private rooms will be proclaimed on the housetops. Uh, this verse is, is terrifying. Um, I've, I've used this verse in parenting 
before, and I'm pretty sure this was, I, can, I have to ask my mom this for sure, but I'm pretty sure I heard this verse as a kid, uh, as, as, as a parenting point. Um, being a hypocrite is a job, isn't it? It requires constant monitoring and evaluation. There's a lot to cover. There's a lot to hide. A lot of walls that have to be built up to keep people from seeing into the real thing. Some of you have become professionals at covering. You're an expert at, at, at protecting your, your internet search history, at covering up your, your calendar. You have entire systems and plans for how you'll hide your sin. And you know just how to look righteous in the right moments. Being a hypocrite also takes a really good memory. What did I say privately to that person? Did I give them the truth or, or did they get the fabrication? And, and, and how will I know? Like, how will I remember? It also requires good acting. What mask do I need to wear in this circle of friends or with those family members? Students, maybe, maybe there's the school you and the home you. Or is there the online you and the in-person you? Some of you aren't two-faced, you're, you're, multi-fa- you're multi-faced. You were changing out your daily mask long before mask mandates. But with all that work, all the monitoring, all the pretending, all the remembering which mask to wear, Jesus is warning, look, none of us, none of us are that sneaky. None of us are that talented. It's all going to come out eventually. Who you are will emerge. You can't hide it from God and it will be exposed eventually. You'll be like Marty McFly, like you will eventually run into the other version of yourself. Almost said like Peter Parker because he ran into like two versions of himself. Um, that was for the students. Uh, but when that, when that happens, whether in this life or in the judgment, uh, what you thought was secret what you thought was whispered off stage, it will be as though it is broadcast through the microphone. Maybe you've had uh, an experience this kind of reckoning in your life when your hidden hypocrisy was exposed. And I, and I would say I'm sorry, but I'm not because it is, I know that it's God's grace that, that brings these moments about. When, when the false, when the false difference between who I am on the outside and the inside is exposed because that's where God can work. And so Jesus says, beware, be on guard. Hypocrisy wants to work its way into the dough of your life. And then number two, we see the lure of hypocrisy. So why? What, what's the driving force behind our hypocrisy? And I think Jesus is gonna show us two really important facets uh, of hypocrisy. And they're actually gonna be our second and our third point. The, the, the lure or the draw uh, to hypocrisy. And then, and then how do we escape it? How do we get away? So first, the lure. To understand this, I think we have to ask the question, what problem are we trying to solve with our hypocrisy? I think the answer is this. The problem is fear. Hypocrisy is a response to fear. Look what Jesus says in verse four. I say to you, my friends, don't fear those who will kill the body and after that can do nothing, uh, nothing more. But I will show you the one to fear. Fear him who has authority to throw people into hell after death. Yes, I say to you, this is the one to fear. 
Here we are again with this word fear. Notice it's, it's, he's not using the word fear as a negative word. Again, again, it's a word tied to worship. So I think we can rightly think of fear as giving highest value, highest esteem to something. And therefore misplaced fear is giving wrong value, assigning the highest value to the wrong thing. Something uh, that, that will eventually destroy you. Misplaced fear leads to hypocrisy. And this is the temptation, I believe, of the disciples in this moment because they, they fear the hatred that they're going to receive. And, and, and if they fear that, they will be tempted uh, to find a way out, to distance themselves from Christ rather than clinging to him. Their fear will tempt them to pretend that they're clean already rather than trusting Christ because he's the only one who can make them clean. So what, what wrong things is Jesus saying that we fear? I think first, it's death. Loss of comfort or, or death. And he, and he says, you fear those who can kill you. We fear that if, if we follow Jesus, if I follow Jesus, I'll lose everything. I could even lose my life. And I love Jesus' attitude here towards death. Look at verse four, what he says. He said, he's saying, you're afraid of death? But he's, here, here's, here's what I really think he's saying. It's just death. It's just death. That's all they've got. Don't be afraid of people that can only threaten you with death. This is the epitome, he's saying, of misplaced fear. You're afraid of something that you see as dreadful, the ultimate dreadful thing. And those who could kill you, they could take everything away. Certainly that's scary. But your fear of death, that will tempt you to deny the one who actually has power beyond death, who has power over death. And Jesus is saying, don't fear them, fear God. Put another way, Jesus is saying, fear, fear one who is actually fearsome. God's greatness is worth trembling over. It's, it's me standing at the foot of Mount Everest. It's insurmountable for me. It would, it would chew me up and spit me out. But Jesus is saying, you're looking at death and it's a flight of stairs. That's what death is like in comparison to God. You're trembling as though it's Mount Everest. But look to God, worship him and death will be put in its place. The fear of death will wane. This is something that I, that I think many of the martyrs so clearly understood. Justin Martyr, an early church father, he said this. He said, you can kill us, but you cannot harm us. They shared such a view of God that said, compared to God, what is there to fear? What can you do to us? Just death? What is it you fear? Maybe it's not death. What comfort or what possession, if you lost it in this life, might lead you to forsake Christ? What is it that keeps you up at night, anxious that you might lose it? Is it a relationship? Is it a reputation? Is it a job? Students, is it your future? When everyone in your class at school is, is cheating and your grades are suffering, Will you forsake Christ so that you don't lag behind? That sort of fear will lead you to hypocrisy. It will lead you to turn away from Christ. And adults, does, does your fear of missing out on the best life, 
of missing out on all the things that life, you think life could afford you or offer you, does it cause you to sacrifice that which is truly right? Does it lead you to weekend activities that take you again and again and again away from gathering with God's people? I think in, in pop culture, uh, or maybe the kids call it FOMO. I don't know, do kids call it FOMO anymore? Is that still the thing? Uh, fear of missing out. I don't know, I got, a, I got one of these. I think just the adults say it now. Um, but, but make no mistake, when left unchecked, your fear of missing out on the best life, it will lead you to hypocrisy. You may proclaim with your mouth allegiance to God, but your fear will lead you to sell your soul for the comforts of this world. Why? Because down deep, that's what you fear. That's what you esteem. That, that life is the one that you think is most most preeminent. And so losing those joys, losing those comforts that the world gives, that feels like a death. And so whether we're we're talking about people actually threatening you with death for embracing Christ, which is happening around the world, or whether like we often face here, we're following Christ may mean that you miss out on, on certain opportunities or certain comforts. Still, Jesus says to all of those things, That's it. That's all they can do to you. That's all they can threaten you with. Missed a missed job opportunity. That's all they can threaten you with. Jail time. That's all they can threaten you with. Death. That's it. That's all they've got. They can make your life difficult if you follow Jesus. They might even take away your earthly life, but that's all they can do. So it's the number three, the escape from hypocrisy. So here's Christ's answer to our misplaced fear. Here's the antidote. Fear God. Fear God. Rightly esteem God. If Jesus is small in your view, then when the comfort of life or your very life itself is threatened, you will be a hypocrite. You will deny Christ to avoid death. But if Christ is everything in your view, if he is preeminent in your view, look at what Jesus says in verse five, but I'll show you the one to fear. Fear him who has authority to throw people into hell after death. This is the one to fear. So you wanna escape hypocrisy? See Jesus for who he really is. He's the one with power beyond death, over death. The one who can send people to hell and does on the one who will grant eternal life. But even more than that, the very one with power over death and hell, he doesn't just grant eternal life. This is something he does for you. He he treasures you. He treasures you and protects you. Look at verse six. Aren't five sparrows sold for two pennies? Yet not one of them is forgotten in God's sight. Sparrows are about as low on the value chart, uh, I think. I'm not, I don't really traffic in birds. Um, but, but sparrows, they're not worth much. I don't think this, this passage says that. Five of them for two pennies? That's, got, that's a steal. That's, that's, that's a lot of birds for two pennies. They're, they're hardly worth anything. But your father remembers them all, is what Jesus says. Hypocrisy says you need to protect yourself You need to make alliance with the world. You need to shapeshift. You need to do what it takes to avoid death. 
But the gospel of Jesus says, only Christ can offer you refuge in this life and beyond. Hypocrisy also says, look out for yourself because no one values you. No one thinks you're worth anything, so you gotta take care of yourself. But the gospel says you are more valued than you know. And God will never forget you. He remembers meaningless little birds. But he calls you friend. What's the answer to your fear? The answer to your fear is God, the one who treasures you. Look at verse seven. Indeed, the hairs of your head are all counted. What does he say? Don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. He's gonna say this over over and over. The fear of God means you don't have to be afraid. Isn't that interesting? That to fear God, to reverence, to worship God means there's nothing else to fear. You don't have to be afraid. The sovereign king remembers you. That, that will comfort you. He doesn't forget a single bird, so he won't forget you. Jesus treasures you. Let that be a remedy for your fear. When you fear death, when you fear discomfort, look to Christ and know that he cares about you. Maybe, maybe someone here today, maybe you would say, man, I, I, I live in constant fear. And I don't even know that I've ever trusted Christ. I don't, I, I've never felt valued. I've never felt cared for. I've never felt worth anything. And, 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 you, and you fear death. You fear rejection. You feel all, fear all of these things. And, and know this, in some way, that's rightfully so because without Christ, it's just you against the grave. But Jesus offers you something. If you don't know him, he offers you life. A life without fear. A life where you don't have to fear death. That doesn't mean everything just turns perfect all of a sudden, but you have a fear that extends beyond this life. You can, you can er eradicate fear. That's what Jesus does for you. And, you. and you know that because you know that he cares for you like that because Jesus came and he died for you. He died so that you might be clean. He died so that you might, the penalty of death might not weigh on you. And he rose from the dead. That's how you, he, you know that he treasures you, he cares for you, he'll forgive you, and he'll grant you life. And if you don't know that, if you've never experienced it, cry out to him today, ask him, he'll forgive you. Call out to him. He will, he will let you experience the love that you've never experienced. And you can have that if you would just come to him. That is the sort of fear that he will take away. Jesus finishes by pointing to one final fear that tempts us in hypocrisy, or tempts us to hypocrisy. I look at verse eight. It says, and I say to you, anyone who acknowledges me before others, the son of man will also acknowledge him before the angels of God. But whoever denies me before others will be denied before the angels of God. I think one of our other great fears is, is rejection or embarrassment, being alone. This, this sort of hypocrisy is, I think, our flesh fighting to survive. I don't know if you remember that feeling uh, when, when your mom dropped you off at school um, or, or you were in public and, and she gave you a kiss on the cheek, if you ever remember that, or maybe, maybe, maybe somebody that, that 
in your life like that, kissed you on the cheek, and you were looking around going, oh man, I hope nobody's seeing this, and, and you, you may, maybe even wipe it off real fast. I wanna make sure nobody can even notice, notice that it happened. Uh, why? Uh, because because I'm, I don't I don't I don't want to be seen with 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 that I don't want, I don't want everybody to know. Um, it, it's it, I don't know if you remember the movie uh, remember the Titans uh, Gary Bertier. There's that moment where he's on the phone with his girlfriend who's back home. They're they're off at this camp and and all these other football players are waiting in line to use the phone, but his girlfriend won't let him off the phone until he says something. Do you remember this? He and he, he gets his voice really low and he goes, "I love you, sugar." And everybody else busts out laughing and he gets so mad and runs away, hangs up the phone. Um, We will forsake the ones that we love to avoid rejection. In, In the ultimate act of hypocrisy, it was the apostle Peter around the campfire as Jesus is being sentenced to death saying, I I don't know him. I don't know this man. Hypocrisy says, I will disown Jesus in a minute in order to be accepted by others to not be alone. But really, what what acceptance is the world offering? Jesus says, you want to be accepted? The the world can't offer you real acceptance. If, If you hold fast to Christ, you will gain ultimate acceptance, acknowledgement before heaven. You will be accepted there. Earthly acceptance, it's just like earthly, it's it's just like avoiding earthly death. Like that's, there's really no, there's nothing great about it. That's all they can give you, earthly acceptance. But acceptance in heaven, to be accepted by God. And then I love this assurance that Jesus gives in verse 10. He says, anyone who speaks a word against the son of man will be forgiven. Man, I'm so glad he says this here. There, there, are, there are moments for all of us when we, when we do not rightly proclaim Jesus. When in our sin, we, our words about Christ fall short or they're not even there at all. And just like Peter, just like Peter, when he, he, his words didn't uh, espouse Christ, didn't proclaim Christ, he, he denied him. But just like for Peter, for you and me, there's forgiveness. Praise God for his grace. You don't have to speak perfectly of Christ to to be forgiven, to be received. But but people get really tripped up on the second half of this verse here. So read, read the second half of the verse. But the one who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. So this is confusing. Yes, there's forgiveness for, for ignorant or faithful, faithless speech about Jesus, but, but blasphemy against the Spirit isn't forgiven. So... Uh, so what does this mean? The, the meaning is, is debated. People have talked about this a lot. You, and, and, but but I, I think we know this for sure. This is not some singular, special act of rejecting God. There are so many examples of people who hated uh, and who, who denied Christ, who spoke against him. Paul killing Christian, Christians. Peter's denial. Uh, it, but it seems like this blasphemy is not some singular act like one of those, that once you commit it, you're out. No, this is a a heart attitude of rejection toward the triune God. And if your attitude toward God, uh, Jesus says, if that's your attitude, then you'll never come to him. You'll never trust him. 
If you've determined in your heart that this glass of water over here has poison in it, then you won't drink it. And likewise, I think Jesus is saying, if you've seen the saving work of the spirit of Christ in action and you've determined that it's poison, you'll never turn and drink it. You'll never receive the forgiveness that he gives. I've counseled before with people who, who, who feared they had committed this sin. But I, I wanna tell you, if you're afraid that you've committed the unpardonable sin, then you haven't committed it. If, if, that, if you're afraid of that because you wanna pursue Christ, because you, you wanna please him, that's not what people who commit this sin are like. They have rejected. They would celebrate their rejection of Christ. And Jesus is saying, you may shrink away uh, from opportunities to speak of me from time to time. But the hypocrite, the, the one who blasphemes the spirit, when they are squeezed, not only will they refuse Christ, they will reject Christ. And I think he's speaking with this particular generation in mind. That they're going to reject him and never look back. So much so that people who are, who are in this crowd right now clamoring to see Jesus, they're gonna be part of the crowd in just a short period of time outside uh, speaking to Pontius Pilate saying, crucify him, crucify him. So how will we escape our fear? Our fear of rejection, the fear that we'll be embarrassed and alone. Hypocrisy says, do what's necessary to be received. If it means rejecting Christ, do it. But the gospel says, cling to Christ. And even though you stumble in your efforts to honor him, he forgives, he receives. And as Jesus closes this section, it's as though he's preparing them for something. He's preparing them for a future suffering, that there's going to be a time there's going to be a time for them and there's going to be a time for you that though you hold fast to Christ, the acceptance that is offered in Christ, the acceptance of heaven, it's going to seem far away. And he wants to remind them that it's not. Look at verse 11. Whenever they bring you before synagogues and rulers and authorities. So maybe, maybe for us that will be rulers, but maybe it'll be bosses. Maybe it'll be a, a, a th threats of loss of money or reputation. He so said, what's, what's the solution? He says, don't worry about how you should defend yourselves or what you should say. For the Holy Spirit will teach you at that very hour what must be said. Hypocrisy says, when you're under the gun, when the world threatens, fight, defend, or maybe even fold. But the gospel says, he's with you. He's with you. And though you feel trapped, he will provide the rescue. He will give you the words. He may not rescue from that particular consequence in that moment, but he will rescue you eternally. And what does he say? Once more, he says, don't worry. What can they do? Embarrass you? Ridicule you? Because you are eternally forgiven. If you are in Christ, you are eternally accepted. You are eternally never left out, never ridiculed. He is with you. And Jesus cared enough about his friends. He cared enough about his disciples to warn them. He knew that a time was coming that was going to tempt them to buckle. And it's coming. It's coming for you. It's coming for me. You'll be tempted to believe that you're missing out on something better. 
That there's, a, there's greater security that, that, that's apart from Christ. That there's a better blessing from someone other than Jesus. There's, there's greater comfort than what he offers. And if you let that thinking in, that leaven of the Pharisees, that insidious sort of thing starts to grow in you. And that hypocrisy will warm its way in. Maybe you're already there. Maybe, maybe it's so easy to honor Christ with your mouth, to come and to raise your hands and worship, but, but it's all for show because your heart is far from him. Listen to Christ's warning today. Where there is hypocrisy, where there's hidden disregard for God, but privately there's self-worship. Privately, there's disunity between the person that you say you are and who you, uh, person you really are and who you claim to be. All that's gonna be revealed one day. And maybe that terrifies you, but I think the hypocritical response says this. It says, perform better, work harder, present yourself even greater, rise to greater heights of outward holiness, prove to God and to everybody else uh, that you really are a, a, a strong believer, a pious person. Will your fears lead you to ramp up your outward piety and hypocrisy or will your fears lead you to Christ? Let us go to Christ. When we sense our hypocrisy, let's pray David's prayer in Psalm 51 as he saw the hypocrisy of his heart. He said, he said this in Psalm 51, six, this was his prayer. Surely you desire integrity in the inner self and you teach me wisdom deep within. He goes on in verse 16. For you will not delight in sacrifice or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. He's saying God didn't need more outer holiness from David. What did he need? Look at verse 17. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. How do we avoid a life with outer forms of worship, but a heart that's far from Christ? The answer is not go higher, work harder. No, the answer is go low. And look up to the mountain that is Christ and let his majesty buckle you a little bit and then receive his grace, receive his mercy. Know that he's with you, that he answers all of your fears. We deserve so little from him, but he's given so much. And then let's join with David, who also says in Psalm 51, back a few verses in verse 10. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. Let me pray for us. Oh Lord, would you help us where fear of men fear of what others think where these where these fears drive everything that we do Lord would would we be overwhelmed today by a vision of you by a vision of your power your worth God that all of those other fears they melt away would we fear nothing but Christ would we fear nothing but you God would would you draw us to yourself and would we be wowed? And Lord, would that help us not to try to prove ourselves, not to try to clean ourselves, but Lord, to come to you 
broken, in need, not being dishonest, but just saying, help us. Lord, that's our cry today. Would you help us? We love you. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen.